Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I'm here with Galen Hare of Insurance Claim Headquarters. He is a relentless litigator who's been named a super lawyer rising star, a top lawyer, and the Pro Bono Public Award. Galen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's go back in time just a little bit. What inspired you to go to law school in the first place? So in my prior life, I was actually a classical musician. And while that was very cool and everything, I was young. Hurricane Katrina kind of hit New Orleans 2005 at the end. And I just kind of needed to do something. So I left. I came down to New Orleans. I was like gutting houses, doing physical labor, kind of the only things I knew how to do. And what was kind of cool, and I think people don't realize this, in a post kind of Hurricane Katrina world in New Orleans, the city was kind of being reformed, reshaped as it were. There were a lot of social justice issues that had kind of come to light. And a lot of those people that had kind of come to help maybe put their entire lives on hold to figure out what to do were lawyers and law students. As a result, I kind of had this like four month incubation period where I had this real interesting opportunity to kind of think about how I wanted to reshape my life and what I wanted it to be. And all of my influences were either lawyers or about to be lawyers. So that inspires you to go to law school and then talk a little bit about the area of specialization you're in now and kind of how you got there. So that got me into law school. I ran a nonprofit while I was there. I still at the same time had a ton of student loans to pay off. Go figure, law schools do not exactly offer massive scholarships to singers. Um, So there wasn't really that opportunity. So I initially went to defense. And I worked for a very, very big firm of awesome people that defended insurance companies in kind of the worst kind of way. (laughs) So, you know, talking like explosion cases where widows were trying to get paid for the loss of their husband and coming up with procedural ways to force them to move these cases around the world, right? Um, That didn't sit well with me for long. That was up in New York came back down to New Orleans again. Kind of every pivotal moment in my life, it's really funny because I leave New Orleans and then I come back. I kind of, as I think about that, it's the weirdest thing. And I did more defense work because that's what you could get a job doing. But that took me maybe a year before I got sick and tired of that. Went out on my own, started my own firm. And what we really wanted to do was kind of provide holistic services to policyholders. So for the better part of a decade, that's what I've been doing at one firm or another. 
So tell us a little bit about what Insurance Claim HQ does. So Insurance Claim HQ is kind of the newer born version, I guess, of the traditional law firm. So a traditional law firm kind of provides services in one or more practice areas. And what I really wanted to do was kind of hyper-focus on what policyholders need for their homes, for their businesses, for their physical property after a disaster, and not just provide those legal services, but also provide kind of the battery of additional things these people need. So what we did is kind of, it's, it's a law firm to be clear, but what we do is kind of provide the entire range of services. So we can connect you with temporary housing. We can get all your contents evaluated for you. We can get your things packed up and moved out if you need. I just found that law firms were kind of not not cutting it as far as providing holistic services are. And that's kind of a traditional problem that law firms have always had. So Insurance Claim HQ is an attempt to rectify that. Okay, so that's really fascinating because I would posit that 99 out of 100 law firms don't do any of that, right? If it's, let's say, a personal injury firm, it's, you know, hey, we'll evaluate your case and tell you what we think it's worth you know, and we'll sue the insurance, you know, we'll sue them and we'll work on our contingency and try and get you some money. And that's what, you know, every single TV ad or billboard is all about. I think what, and how did you come up with the idea of the business model of all these other things that those policyholders, those claimants would need, but I mean, nobody else was providing and nobody else has thought to do that. How did that originate? Because that's amazing. So I think it's threefold. I think the first thing is about having an intention-based business as opposed to a profit-based business. What I found is you can make good money by having clientele that are happy without as much regard to whether each individual service you have has this profit margin or that profit margin. That took a lot of getting uncomfortable in order to reach a place where I could do that. Uh, so I don't recommend that to anyone that doesn't have a very, very strong constitution because there were moments where I wondered if we would make it, but that's the first step. The second step, and I think is equally as important, is law firms tend to look at other law firms. What does my competition do? And I think we're all guilty of this in our industry. It doesn't matter what you do. You look at your competitors and see what your competitors are doing. And it's interesting because you're trying to beat your competitors but you still draw this false box around your business that is essentially becomes your own prison of what you can and cannot do. And I don't look at that. I look at Apple, I look at Google, I look at Amazon. The biggest companies in the country or the world even are continuously expanding their services and moving into other fields. And I think that's really important for law firms. And then the final thing, which isn't necessarily as interesting to non-lawyers, is non-lawyer law firm ownership is coming. It's in multiple states. It is coming. Traditionally, you had to be a lawyer to own a law firm, but 10, 20, 30 years, Walmart's going to own the biggest law firm. Target's going to own the second biggest law firm. Google is probably going to own one of the biggest law firms. And you have to be ready for that. And again, if you, you like to put yourself into this tiny little box that you've self-created, then you're not going to be ready for when people that have no boxes come into your field. That is Man, we could do a whole day. Like, that is absolutely fascinating. I love that you are, to paraphrase Wayne Gretzky, skating to where you think the puck is going to be. Everyone else is where the puck is. I think, I think you're differentiating yourself because let's fast forward however many years it is, and let's say those big companies are snatching up law firms. They're not going to provide those direct services, right? 
they're not going to get into the business of law. They just want to own the asset. And it's like Amazon, you know, if your business can be Amazoned, it will. But, you know, if Home Depot moves into your neighborhood, there's one hardware store mom and pop that goes out of business and rolls over and dies. And there's another one that says, this is awesome. There's going to be more traffic of people looking for stuff. Home Depot doesn't have our customer service. We're going to actually make more money because people will be frustrated that they can't get real help. So I think that's amazing. How do you, can you, and how do you, I'm not asking for like prices, but can you, and how do you make money on those other services? Because that's not, I would assume, could be totally wrong, not going to be a part of, let's say a 33% contingency fee, right? Do you bill for that? How does that work? It's a business model. Yeah. So work that we can bill for, we do. But what's interestingly enough, what's interesting enough is my play is really in the client base not the service. And the reason for that is some states actually have very strict ethical rules where I cannot, for instance, go own my own pack out is what we call, we call pack out companies, the companies that show up to your house after a disaster and pack all your stuff and photograph it and take it away so you can do your house. That's a pack out. If I own one of those companies in many states, I cannot make a profit off of the work that we do. So, so candidly, one of the ways we have that, that's why I mentioned, sometimes you have to let go of your profit. Our contingency fee works well. We make a lot of money doing it. So what we try to do is not lose money on anything else we do, uh, because that allows us to continue to be a profitable and growing business. But meanwhile, like, so it's not a loss leader. Our goal is to try to stay net zero on those businesses where we can't make any money but we stay net zero and we can use those businesses and provide services to non-clients, even to our competitors at a profit. So it's kind of this interesting concept because you become bigger and bigger and bigger and, and we have, and your competitors actually start to use your services and pay you so you can make a profit for it. Okay. So that's brilliant. I love that. So can you, you said in certain cases, like there's ethical rules, you can't make a profit. But can you still provide the service and just not make any money, just price it so you don't make any money, but you still get the goodwill of that, of that client? Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. I mean, that's brilliant because who else are those people going to go see, right? If you're doing things for them that nobody else will, and you are that one-stop shop in providing all of those things, you've got a fence around that hurt. They're not going anywhere. That's exactly right. And then that's you can exactly take market right. share. I mean, by serving other law firms, that sets you up with a whole new referral network um, that otherwise might not necessarily come your way, right? Exactly. And, you know, so competitors are always our best referrals, which I always think is funny. And, and that's really how business should be. If someone that is your competitor does something better than you, at some point you should be sending the, that work to you. I mean, for instance, some of our competitors use our software that we use to move cases forward and to manage things. And that's intentional, right? It, it's not about control. It's about that every day when we wake up and my upper management team meets, we decide how are we going to be the absolute best at what we do so no one can ever catch up. And that's we'll a give great them, question to ask yourself. I think you have to in business these days. What, I mean, your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? I love helping people. It's, it's really the coolest thing. So being able to earn a living and not just for me, but for a lot of other people, which is nice. You know, I walk outside and I look at our bullpen every day and I see how many people we employ. That I thought was going to be rewarding enough, 
but all the thank you cards, all the thank you texts, the emails. I mean, a present showed up the other day. You don't get presents when you represent plaintiffs. It doesn't happen. When I was on the defense side, you got like these hams and these turkeys and these cookies, you know, every holiday. And we give a lot of presents. I tend to give housewarming gifts to our clients when we get them back into their home. I think That's it's a, a nice idea. thing to do. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's never something branded. Like everyone brands, right, these days. And, and yeah, I'm, here's I'm a t-shirt with my logo on it. And, and are you going to wear that t-shirt, you know, maybe working out, maybe going for a run, maybe if you need to paint, but you're not going to wear that t-shirt proudly out where you are. So we try to do things like get them like an engraved set of pans or an engraved set of knives. It doesn't have our name on it. It has their name on it. And, um, you know, so we do a lot of that, but I'm always amazed being in kind of that intention-based business. We even get things from our clients, you know, thank you so much. And, and those are the best gifts. Like I hardly even drink. And you know, if I look up at my desk right now, the whole top is just like bottles and bottles of whiskey that have been given to me by clients. You know, I think if you walked into my office, you'd think I had a problem. Well, I appreciate the disclaimer that you do not. <laughs> um, with all the success that you've achieved, what's your biggest challenge now? Continuing to grow, widening the gap. So that is always the challenge I think that a business owner has is trying to widen the gap between you and your competition. What else can you do better? The second you decide that you've done what you wanted to do, I think you switch from a growth mode to a dying mode. And that's just not acceptable for us. Awesome. What, uh, what do you do in your spare time when you're not busy changing the world? <laughs> um, so I'm a big reader. I read a lot, um, maybe more than I should, because I think sometimes it makes me paranoid, um, but but a big, big reader, and then also a, a big proponent, given my background of the arts, so I go to pretty much every musical, every play, every whatever that comes out, wherever I happen to be at the moment. Um, anything in the opera arena? You know, there's not a massive New Orleans opera scene, <laughs> but there is one, uh, so I, I try to be a supporter, but that's basically four nights a year. All right. Well, uh, for our viewers and listeners who want to learn more about the amazing work that you're up to, where is the best place for us to send them? We have a website, uh, Insurance Claim HQ, and then, of course, all our social media channels. If, if you have it, we're on it. All right. Well, this has been Seth Green with Galen Hare for InsuranceClaimHQ.com. Galen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. We'll talk to you or see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat cheat. Text pitch to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.